Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Game Table! Welcome to The Game Table. I am Seamus Byrne. This is the first episode of this new podcast. It's going to be a show all about role-playing games, board games, card games, miniatures. It's really about all those games that bring us together around a table. The games themselves, the communities, the people who give us these great tools to use and to enjoy, and generally everything that kind of enables us to have a great time together in the real world at the game table. To start things off, I've got a series of episodes off the back of having gotten to go to D&D Live. Uh, Wizards very kindly helped me to get over there to Los Angeles and see all the action in person. It was like an absolute teenage dream to be able to go and be part of that festival. And it was completely blowing my mind. Uh, Descent into Avernus was the new game, the new storyline, I should say, that is coming later this year that was announced at that event. And as part of the event, I got to conduct a whole bunch of really cool interviews with some incredibly talented people from behind the scenes, uh, in front of camera type people. So over the coming week, I'm going to drop a whole bunch of great interviews with some of these amazing, amazing people. To list some of them off, you're going to hear interviews with Kate Welsh and Patrick Rothfuss, Chris Perkins and Joe Manganiello, Mike Mills and B. Dave Walters, Deborah Ann Wall and Xander Genere, Matthew Lillard and more. It's going to be a lot of fun dropping all of these great folks on you in such a short space of time. So please make sure that you sign up and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. I'll also be teaming up with the folks from Good Games, the great local game store chain you'll hopefully know from a town somewhere near you to put together a bit of a care package of sorts to send a lucky listener a special something. For now, all I'll say is that the first code phrase is Dirty 20. So jot that down somewhere. You're going to need it. And a few of those by the end of this first wave of episodes. So keep listening. But today, to kick things off, just as the new Acquisitions Incorporated book hits stores, I thought I'd start the podcast off with a delightful conversation. It genuinely was a delight with Jerry Hawkins and Jeremy Crawford. You may know Jerry as Tycho Bray. You may know him as Omen Dran. Jerry is half the wordsmith half of the Penny Arcade webcomic duo and now also the pair drive a vast empire of Penny Arcade expos and charities and now also the wildly popular Acquisitions Incorporated live play D&D campaigns. Jeremy is the lead rules designer and the managing editor on Dungeons & Dragons and notably the ongoing author of the Sage Advice column. 
for all your most burning rules questions. He also does a stellar job DMing live play games for the likes of Jerry and his Acquisitions Inc. team and other celebrity groups from time to time and at D&D Live delivered quite the performance as Mad Maggie. If you didn't see it, make sure you check out the VODs from that event because that character was spectacular in action. Talking to Jerry and Jeremy about the past decade of working together on Acquisitions Inc. and on the resurgence of Dungeons and Dragons in the whole popular mainstream consciousness and on what the game really means in their lives. It was all an absolute treat. So enough preamble from me. Let's dive in. Did this book come together the first time it was discussed or like were there kind of various thoughts and theories over the years on what kind of a, uh, a physical manifestation could take place uh, for, for this Acquisitions Incorporated in D&D? Well, I mean, the truth, right, is that we have been, and not euphemistically, we have literally been working on Acquisitions Incorporated together for a decade. Yeah. So the book is probably the most like transparent fruit of that union, but in truth, we've been around a table multiple times a year uh, for a decade making, you know, what is essentially, you know, mechanically, business speaking, an IP. Yeah. Now, it's an IP that is sort of like nestled inside of another. There's a Matryoshka sort of like continuum here. Okay. But we've, it's like, I've done this interview, you know, I've discussed this this book many times. I've never gotten around to this part of it. And maybe I just had to do the other interviews to get to this true interview. But we really have been making the book for a decade. Yeah. And I just now figured that out. <laughs> and and you mentioned earlier this cultural moment of D&D's popularity, this hunger people have for a face-to-face -face entertainment experience. Uh, but... Also over the last 10 years, in many ways, Acquisitions Incorporated was helping to lay the groundwork for this because it was the first major D&D game watched by thousands of people. Uh, you know, the first one where people would gather not only, you know, in front of computer screens, but in theaters to watch other human beings play this tabletop game. It's literally happened. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like for a, in a, a given acting show, there'll be, you know, a few thousand people present. And then there'll be thousands of additional people watching the same game online, all uh, occupying the same space and all agreeing to believe in this, um, in this shared fantasy. Um, yeah, it's, it really is a remarkable, it's a remarkable moment, but it's definitely been a long time uh, coming. I mean, from, from yeah. that perspective, in some ways, the question could be, what took us so long? Yeah. <laughs> why are we, no, why are we doing a we, book we, finally We wasted now. a lot of time, uh, and it's very shameful, obviously. But, but we, the, should, we should be on book five by yeah, now. We certainly should. We certainly should. And I'm, we're ready to begin at a moment's notice. Um, but... The the book itself, like I say, it's just the it's just the end point. We've had, you know, three different dungeon masters, but the dungeon masters that we've had have always been from Wizards of the Coast. Mm -hmm. So they've always been, you know, intimately connected with the 
systems and with the ongoing worlds that they make there. Uh, and, you know, to be allowed and invited to bring what's essentially like my home game into book form is, is very, very humbling. Um, it's very, very humbling indeed. Uh, I've needed a lot of the skills that I built as Omen uh, in my regular business life. <laughs> Uh, and so I've had a, I've appreciated the opportunity to sort of sharpen some of those techniques in the relatively safe uh, environment of Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, that's such a good point, isn't it? I've, you know, we had so many conversations even just this weekend about people who talk about that very idea that yeah, D and D can make you a better person. You know, or that you can practice. You know, working through weird things that have been in your head for a long time or or finding new ways to kind of un- unlock parts of yourself that it's mm-hmm. it's magical for exactly that sort of a reason too and and also the the simple fact that every single D game involves solving problems with other people yeah and i mean no matter how it's absurd, the baseline yeah no matter how absurd the session might be mm. uh no matter how zany and sometimes you know it's high heroism and the people are working to do good, but other times it's horribly amoral and the, the characters are awful people. But even when they're awful people, they're working together to solve a problem. Uh, and that's a that's a powerful thing. Yeah. Um, one thought I had at the sort of higher level of Penny Arcade itself is I'd love your thought on, you know, what do you feel arriving at this sort of a book says about the broader penny arcade journey for for you guys is it essentially the idea of do fun shit and you will arrive in cool places down the track uh or is there something deeper than that (laughs) well no i mean we at every juncture essentially we try to make what we think is the most interesting choice which we we play you know the choose your own adventure game like we play that with abandon and you know, it's it's risky. Like when we first when we first engaged in this sort of thing. I mean, now podcasts are obviously a, a phenomenon. They are a, a, a fundamental form of media that that they're, it's not you know uh, constrained to the the tech enthusiast. I mean, there was a period of time where that exists. You know, podcasts and. Um, shout casting and like this all existed yeah. in a sort of broad I was gonna say you probably know this better than anybody that whole uh these other it's a the medium exists and is pretty stable and sturdy now and to um have committed to something like that when we did is bizarre it's legitimately weird <laughs> um but now it's that is such that's an assumption like it, in the space of 10 years to have something kind of like edgy and odd become a, like an international assumption. You just listen to these things on your pocket computer. It's a completely normal way to spend the afternoon. Mm. Um, but there's so many games now. Like Acquisitions Incorporated is just is, is a, a player in a genre and it is not even the biggest player in the genre. You know what I mean? Like that's to me, that's the most interesting thing is just sort of how fecund the whole thing is. Um, And different ones exist in different sorts of, you know, continuums, right? Like, so we were talking last night, I had a chance to play with uh, Travis McElroy uh, with in the guise of Magnus and his dad at a table. Um, And it was just very, very uh, interesting to have that experience because for them, live games are relatively new. Adventure Zone exists primarily as a podcast, but if you compare that to Critical Role, let's say, 
that primarily. I mean, a lot of people address it via podcast or VOD, but Critical Role has got incredible viewership at the live game itself. Um, so there's lots of people playing, but the 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 through line is that they're playing it together, and there's a lot of people playing along with them. Just as because we're social creatures, mm. I think that you find yourself at that table imagining the same things along with them. And there's it's 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 a ritual. Is we're talking about a social ritual yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, and I, you know it feels like mm. the classic mode of D and D has always been about you know then we we walk away and chat, catch up with our mates and I want to tell them the story about yes. the cool thing that happened at our table the other night and now people are kind of having this this shared version of the table where you do feel as invested as the people who are who are playing it feels like your table too right yeah 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 well, it's it's you're imagining everything along with them like yeah. you're present because you're because your mind is being engaged you're and and because we're simians you know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah. But because we, we we all exist in this fundamentally social continuum, when we, I mean, the, the words belief, right? If we believe by choice, if we believe in the same thing, we become a community. It's just very, very. It's overwhelming, frankly. It's just the the scope and scale of some of the ideas that are happening around this game that we play. Mm. 
we work with a whole lot of people outside of Wizards of the Coast on all of our books. But at the end of the day, they're always our babies. And this was a case where we decided to essentially be the midwife for someone else's baby. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, it, it largely uh, is their vision. Now, yeah. as Jerry mentioned, this is something our two companies have been engaged in happily for a decade now. Uh, and so it, it felt like a natural fit for us uh, to provide this publishing platform for this zany storytelling, this this whimsical take on a D&D experience. Uh, so for us, it's, it, again, was a natural thing to say yes to. And I really hope that uh, it's going to resonate with people, that whether they're fans of Acking already or are going to become fans uh, of Acking because of this book, uh, that it's going to bring a lot of joy to their D&D groups. Well, and it... <clears throat> It can't really be stressed enough. Um, it's a pretty bold maneuver. Um, in our, you know, in our work as Penny Arcade, we've worked with many companies um, collaboratively using a variety of different brands, and there is a lot of timidity around. But what happens is that you know success is found, and then it calcifies into a, a kind of conservatism. Essentially, it catalyze it basically becomes something. It be, turns into rigidity. The energy that created the success that they had becomes a series of rules, and the fact that the fact that they would entertain, let alone support, uh, collaborate with, and allow uh, a piece of work that, through satire, exposes different sides of Dungeons and Dragons and is revelatory in some ways about some of the mechanics, the fact that they would even endure that type of assessment, it, it puts them in a different, it puts them in a different league basically. Cause there's just, there's so much fear and so much timidity about IP. Yeah. And you, you know what I mean? And I, I, that's the way of death, frankly. I think it's unwise. It's, it's unwise to do and it's unwise to see yourself and what you've made is beyond reproach. Mm -hmm. You always have to be looking at it. You always have to be interpreting it. And that's how things like this grow. Mm. And so how much of your brain space do you feel like D&D &D <coughs> takes up now? How well are you able to compartmentalize the three parts of yourself as you just kind of referenced? Because it's, it seemed pretty full before this even came along back in the day. Um, and then the, you know, the Penny Arcade Expo arrived and then this, this is happening. And it's like it's it's... I feel it's quite remarkable you managed to to juggle the uh, you know five well, balls in the air, seven balls in the air. <laughs> I, the truth is, is that I have an incredible team that um, supports slash endures me. Uh, you know, when I get a weird idea and I want to investigate it. So uh, the truth is, is that Dungeons and Dragons takes up a profound amount of my imagination. I would say that it is my primary. I would say that Dungeons and Dragons, that creating like, you know, of the C team campaign that I run on a weekly basis uh, on Twitch, the A games that run live at the shows, and occasionally a show will include a C team game and an A team game. Uh, I wrote a book of poetry about my role playing experiences fundamentally called Lex Caliber. Uh, the, the fact is, is that I think Dungeons and Dragons is a genre, is, is, is wide enough to tolerate interpretation. Uh, like any other medium would. And I would say that Dungeons & Dragons is probably my primary 
creative outlet. If I were to think about it, if I actually go back and break down how I spend a week, I would say the vast majority of it, because I also run a game for my son and his friends, and I run a game for my daughter and her friends. <laughs> I would say that Dungeons and Dragons probably occupies the lion's share of my um, creative life. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I hope you feel like that's awesome. I too. love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, just as a wrapping up point, uh, you know, the as I sort of mentioned before, we were taping the. I feel like there's just this great sweep of the idea of the resurgence of D and D of the last few years, and that it it just to me it almost seems like the the old story of radio. How it you know it for a while it faltered, but then it it realized what it was best at, and yeah. and was able to then you know become bigger than ever. That immediacy, it, right? yeah. Um, so you know. What's your feeling about why this has been the right time for D&D to sort of now every, you know, when I was coming over for this trip, there were three people in my office who were like, I actually, some friends have invited me to a game recently. I've never played before, but but like utterly mainstream people who I never would have thought of as someone who had a D&D game lined up this weekend. Right. I, I was just at a wedding a few weeks ago and... <laughs> In the reception, I was talking to these two retirees. They, they were getting tired of playing Mahjong and Canasta uh, with their friends. And after the, the wedding, I got an email from them letting me know they had ordered the D&D starter set and they wanted to try it out. And uh, she was going to read the rules and see if she could run the game for her friends. I mean, that's, that, that is how much things have changed, how D&D has gone from you know, being sort of the game in the basement to now just the game in anyone's dining room. Uh, and I think, again, it's because people are hungry to tell stories together. Uh, we also happen to have released an edition of the game with more streamlined rules that uh, I think, and I say happen to, because I would love to claim <laughs> that when the rest of the team and I were designing fifth edition, that we were we were calculating that now is the time to release this more streamlined version. Nice work, dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. well done. But but it was it, it was you know one of those happy accidents of history yeah. that uh, thanks to the outpouring of playtest feedback we got in the D and D next playtest process, our playtesters helped us find our way toward a more streamlined version of the game that was ripe for this moment of mm. people wanting to get into this, the shared storytelling game and wanting to then have a game that they could perform. Uh, because honestly, if the game were more complex than it is right now, it would not make for great streaming. Uh, and as we think of the future of the game, that is now on our minds. Uh, you know, 10, 10 years ago, and I've, I've been working at Wizards of the Coast on D&D for almost 12 years now, uh, a decade ago, that was not a factor in our thinking. But now when we think of, you know, D&D in the next 10 years, we have to take into account how well can the game be performed because people don't want to just play it. They want mm -hmm. to watch other people play it. Uh, and so that is a fun new factor in how we imagine uh, this game we're creating. Yeah, yeah, and for me, I mean, I know that Resurgence is correct. I mean, I think that we could look at a curve or sales or something like that. I know that Resurgence is the right word, but I mean, I, I, mean, I never stopped playing. Like, yeah. my friends and I never stopped. The water level for Dungeons & Dragons has always been, you know, pretty, you know, significant. The main thing I think in terms of the resurgence, I think what's happened is that more people have realized sort of what, what we sort of knew and then sort of like kept, 
you know, in our hearts, yeah. which is that um, there are very few better ways to spend an afternoon. We, yeah. we also discovered, uh, this was one of the big surprises for us when 5th edition came out, that there were many people who had played the game uh, back in the late, seven, late 70s and through the 80s and into the early 90s, who then, uh, because their lives got busy, wandered away from the game, or the shape that the game took in the late 90s uh, with its heightened complexity just wasn't for them. And so when 5th edition came out and there was a sudden tidal wave of people coming to the game, we're like, where are these people coming from? And we started talking to them and discovered there were all these people who had stopped many, many years before and were coming back. Mm -hmm. And again, it was a combination of they were now at a point in their life where they were ready to come back to D&D. But then the message they would give us is also the fact that the game uh, felt more approachable again. Uh, and also had a feel that reminded them a bit more of first and second edition. It helped. It helped bring them back because, in a way, it felt to them like they were coming home. Cool. Uh, as a uh, as a closing pitch for the actual book, yeah. Um, what do you feel like new franchise operators should expect from the uh, from their book experience? They should expect um, tremendous toil. Uh, Minimal rewards, crushing bureaucracy, um, and friendship. <laughs> Sounds perfect. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. The Game Table is produced by me, Seamus Byrne, for the Biteside Podcast Network at biteside.com. You can find me on Twitter is the easiest place to find me. I am at Seamus, S-E-A-M-U-S. And you can come over there and tell me what you think of the show. Uh, tell me what you hope you might hear in future. And just tell everybody else that you know, that you've ever met, all about the show. And that they should also subscribe in their favorite podcast apps. And that they too should leave fabulous reviews to help the algorithm spread the word as quickly as possible. Don't forget to stop by again very soon. There is a whole string of episodes lined up to kick this thing off in the most wonderful way possible. And until the next episode, I hope that all your dice stay out of jail. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 